Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Law Schoolers. We are introducing another new topic in this episode. We're going to be talking about criminal procedure. And criminal procedure, it's very simple, very straightforward. It's the rules that shape how the police and the lawyers and the judges are going to work within the criminal system. Uh, primarily, our discussions are going to fall on the police, the police actions, what they do during the investigation process, what they do during the uh, interrogation process, and so on and so forth, and making sure that everything stays within the limits of the constitutional boundaries. So there are going to be three overarching concerns that we have throughout uh, this uh, topic, not necessarily this episode, but throughout this topic of criminal procedure. We're going to be looking at the state power and authority that they have and ultimately where the state gets that authority and the tools that are afforded to the police. The second thing that we'll talk about is the balancing concerns between both the criminal accountability, making sure the bad guys are being held accountable, and then also systematic fairness, making sure that the bad guys are still treated fairly regardless of their actions. And finally, the third main theme throughout this topic of criminal procedure is where did the criminal procedure rules come from? Uh, primarily, we have the Constitution, which has the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments, which protect criminal rights. We also have Supreme Court opinions, so common law and other courts and state statutes and city codes. Uh, police officers also have manuals that they have to follow and other informal policies that they have set up as well. Okay, so that's an overview of the theme, but we have an overview of this episode as well, just to, just to provide some background information to what the police do and how they function. Uh, police, well, let, let, let me give you the three main topics that we'll talk about in this episode. Talk about the police acting as caretakers, their role there. We'll talk about policing theories and specifically the community policing theory. And then we'll talk about the models of uh, how the criminal process works as well. Okay, so let's talk about the police as being community caretakers. Community caretakers, well, the police have two primary functions. Uh, the first function is going to be enforcing the law and getting the bad guys off the street. But they also spend a lot of their time caring for the public. Police are often first responders for medical calls. Uh, they, uh, You call them if you get locked out of your car. They have a whole host of other activities that they have accepted and adopted into their job description. Ultimately, stats that we saw is uh, about 8% of the police's job actually is involved with enforcing the law. The rest of it has this caretaking element where you end up helping the public with those other roles. Now, the issue here is sometimes those caretaking elements can lead to criminal investigation without taking the proper steps before criminal investigation can take place. According to the Fourth Amendment, you need search warrants, and so on and so forth. And so now we're given the situation of where you begin with a caretaking role, when does that switch into a criminal investigation? We have a case here to actually describe the situation as Cagniglia versus Strom. Uh, this was a situation where a man and a wife got in a fight. Uh, the uh, man uh, basically threatened suicide, but the wife ended up leaving for the night, came back, 
well, the next day couldn't get a hold of her husband, so she was concerned for his safety, called the police to say, hey, can we go check on him? So they went and checked on him together. He was, he was fine. He was sitting on the front porch. But the police were still worried about his safety, and so they recommended that he go to psychiatric care, uh, at least to get an evaluation. He agreed as long as the police did not take his guns. Well, the police went inside after uh, the man was taken away, and they reached his guns. And so he's suing, saying that this was a violation of his civil rights and a violation of... Actually, I don't think this was necessarily a stop and seizure, but this was a civil rights violation that he was claiming. And ultimately what he is saying here is, you had no right to enter into my home and seize the guns. Now, there was a case before this, a case called Katie, where it was completely fine to go and seize a gun, but the difference there is that this was entering into a vehicle, and in our present case, Cagniglia, I was entering into a home. And homes have this protection uh, that just other places do not have, uh, for whatever reason, actually. There are very significant reasons, but the primary reason is the home is a very uh, special place that is just afforded these extra protections. Places like vehicles, as was the case in Katy, that those do not offer those broad connections. But we see in the situation that initially the role was a caretaking role. He went into this situation, the police went into this situation, primarily to check on the safety of the individual. Now, when does it shift from a caretaking role to a criminal investigation where you need additional approval in order to conduct such an investigation. Well, there's a variety of tests, but one test that we'll be relying on here is there's three parts to it. First is the facts must show that a citizen must be in peril. Two, the officer is able to render citizen assistance to that citizen in need of that aid. And then third, after the citizen no longer needs the aid, you need to obtain a warrant or any other special permissions that you need to conduct additional searches. We have another example here. There was a case called State v. Dube uh, where uh, there was an apartment. Custodian needed into the apartment. Officers uh, were called uh, just to make sure that the custodian was doing uh, a good job, not doing anything bad in the apartment. He just wanted to make sure that he was good to go. So the officers went, they opened the apartment, and it was a wreck. Uh, not good living conditions, and it was obvious that a child was living in these conditions. Well, the custodian finished up their work. The officers were still waiting for a camera crew and for uh, home services uh, to arrive. So they told the custodian to wait. They all left, and then once the camera crew came back, they all went back inside and started taking pictures. Well, the issue with this is once the custodian was done with his job, the police were outside of their caretaking role. They were inside the caretaking role because the custodian, the citizen, needed assistance. The officers could render that assistance. But then once the officers finished providing that assistance, meaning once the custodian was done with his work, well, the, the officers would have needed to obtain a warrant to conduct any additional searches. Since they went back into the apartment after those additional searches were done. It was outside their boundaries. They were no longer in the caretaking role. And as a result, any evidence that they collected during that time would have been improper to submit at trial. 
So that's the caretaking role. There's another aspect of policing that we haven't talked about yet. This is the idea of community policing. There's kind of two pictures that people see when they think of uh, police officers. Uh, the first picture is kind of this warrior that you have. Police officers are meant to be strong, fierce, and dedicated, but sometimes also this can lead to some violence and uh, bad impressions, being mean and demanding respect when sometimes that respect can be misinterpreted and ultimately lead to poor results. Community policing, on the other hand, is the idea of working hand-in-hand with the community and setting up programs and other ideas and institutions to help the community, both in their caretaking needs and in the law enforcement needs. Uh, This includes drug awareness in the schools, uh, maybe student athletic activities. I'm trying to remember of other ones off the top of my head. Neighborhood Watch, supporting Neighborhood Watch, and other things that the city council sees that the police could help with. The idea of this is to give the impression that officers are really more guardian angels rather than warriors. They are there to protect, and they are there to understand your needs. Uh, The officers in this community policing theory uh, has empathy and respect for human dignity. And so it's ultimately trying to combine the idea of a warrior officer with an individual who may be more empathetic and understanding of how things work. This kind of leads to the two different criminal models of what, how we view police officers. There's the crime control model, and then there's the due process model. The crime control model is based on making sure that there is efficiency in catching the bad guys. The more bad guys you get, the better it's going to be. It's very quick. It's very efficient. Uh, you gather a large pool of people together. You filter out the ones who are probably innocent and you charge the ones who are probably guilty. The whole idea here is to close the case and from beginning to end. The more cases that you have closed, clearly the more crime you have fought, and the measurement of success is going to be the number of convictions that you have. Typically, this is going to be done through a guilty plea. The due process uh, control model is more willing to sacrifice this efficiency for... Well, due process. And they want to make sure that you get the right answer. You're going to take your time. You're going to make sure that the investigation work is totally done so that the innocent are definitely going to be innocent and the guilty are definitely going to be guilty. Uh, What's the ultimate goal of this? Well, fairness and justice to everyone involved in the criminal system. And then success is going to be measured by this increased public perception of the criminal justice, making sure that everything is just and legitimacy within the criminal justice system. So that's an overview of everything that we're going to see throughout the semester. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about searches and seizures. Specifically, we are going to be giving definitions of what a search and what a seizure is. Seizures are often also referenced as stops. Okay, that's where we're going to leave off. I'll talk to you guys another time. See you soon. Bye.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.